1: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Kara. And Kara was in a four year relationship with a physical abuser. It destroys intergenerational trauma, suicide threats, trauma bonds, cycles of abuse, embarrassment, and being kind to yourself. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Kara. How are you?
0: Uh, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, thank you for being here with us today, Kara. And if you want to be a guest like Kara is today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our guest form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our guest form and press the submit button in. Please do send it in the format that we ask for. And we have a content warning for this episode as we do discuss physical abuse, suicide threats, and suicidal ideation in this episode. So that is your content warning for this episode. And today you are going to hear Kara's story, and it was a four-year relationship that had Incremental abuse over time. You know, this story is about the confusion of the type of physical abuse that is going on. Was it physical abuse? Is it physical abuse? And the embarrassment of being in this relationship and living essentially a double life so others don't know what's going on. And it's also about the cycles of abuse and recognizing the cycles of abuse. So, just a really big thank you to Kara for. Being here, and now I'm going to get out of my way and your way. Kara. the floor is now yours.
0: I was raised uh, one of three girls, the middle, the black sheep, uh, in a working class neighborhood um, in a large Midwestern city. I lived on same block as my school which was a catholic school and also the rectory the convent church we went to it was all there um very strong catholic roots uh on my mother's side um she was raised by the nuns at about age 14 when she left home and on my dad's side they are very um devout catholics and even my aunt on that side was a nun for about 14 years so it had a very big influence on me as a child and what i got from that uh education uh was that i wanted to be a good person i wanted to be like jesus I was, I thought Jesus was very admirable. I didn't consider myself necessarily like uh, wanting to become a nun or anything like that or follow all of the religion, but the idea that I could be someone that saw the good in everybody and I wanted to help people. So we were on the outside a family that went to church and was involved and, uh, very outgoing, you know, in the neighborhood, but at home, it was a different story. Uh, my dad very early on was, um, a, I'm just going to say raging alcoholic because, uh, I just remember him being drunk a lot, but my mother was also uh, she didn't drink but she was a rage rageaholic um, and there would be lots of arguments um and my mother was the one that would be yelling obscenities towards him and also would get violent towards him uh things thrown around plates thrown around uh dishes breaking and She was like a little over five feet. My dad was six, four. So I just remember him a lot. Um, He would be drunk and he would be crying. Um, And especially if it was just my sisters and I at home with him, he would have us gather around him and tell us how hard his life was and Basically, needed a lot of emotional support from us. So, I was very uh, tuned in to his emotional state, and my mother—I was—I did not feel close to. Actually, this is a very strange memory I have as a kid. Um, She breastfed us uh, till a little bit older. She was into alternative. Um, child rearing during that time in the early 70s. And I remember breastfeeding and then like, you know, pulling back as babies do and looking up at her and thinking, who is this woman? Like I didn't feel close to her. So um, I was also a very sensitive kid, shy, so after my, my mother and father, well, my mother divorced my father, uh, I was about seven, and then she moved us to a different area that had better schools, but uh, we didn't have a lot of money, so we lived in apartments kind of on the edge of town. Um, so there was, it was a, a crime, high crime area. But I just, you know, my sisters and I just uh, figured out how to get around and stay safe. Um, And we were pretty much on our own at that point when we were latchkey kids. And uh, so at a very young age, uh, we became pretty independent. I didn't, we didn't see our dad a lot. Uh, We were with our mother most of the time. And, um, it was during middle school where I started to have a really hard time. Um, I was bullied in, in school and my sisters weren't. Um, and I think at that time that really a lot of, uh, anxiety, depression, uh, self-loathing, um, shame, uh, really overcame me and I didn't know that's what it was I definitely had no idea about therapy and there wasn't I don't think there's really anyone looking after me um, noticing that I was having trouble and that I had very few friends as time went by I just kind of got very much into um my own fantasy world i read a lot of books started plotting out my future of how i was going to get out of the house and live on my own so i decided i was going to somehow graduate early from high school i didn't know how i was going to do it but i just um relied on you know the stories Yeah, the stories that I I was reading for fun about uh, so many different things, Uh, people that lived in different countries, different cultures, lots of different um, religions, spirituality. Um, I didn't feel like I was set in any particular religion, but I had a very strong belief in some kind of God. I felt I was surrounded by angels and uh, spirit guides and that they were always there to help me and um, I started getting into uh, uh, manifesting reality Um, this was in the early days and of like original woo-woo holistic way of looking at things eastern spirituality and I mean I would go to as other kids my age, like in high school, were maybe going to parties and doing stuff like that, going out and eating pizza. I was doing things like um, changing my diet and fasting, and then going to uh, different conferences, learning about alternative health. And I think that's where I also started to read about psychology and ways in which I could heal myself. Although I didn't know what I was healing, I knew that there was something not right with how I felt. Um, So I was always, I was seeking. You could say I was a a spiritual seeker.
1: And for you, you did get into a few relationships before the one that we are going to be talking about. And the relationship Previously to this, the one that was previous to this story, you were actually in in an emotionally abusive relationship with this person, and you ended up being married to that person, and you met him when you were 32 years old, and you had just graduated from school, and you were living a life of independence, and you wrote me that you were excited about your future because you worked together, you you were swept away, and you felt seen by this person. You moved across country for them, this dream career together. You created a family and then 16 years later you had one child with this person but you felt that you were you know completely invisible there was emotional abuse going on as well and you were just alone in this marriage and you were made to feel worthless and you got depressed and then you were discarded for a much younger person and this was done without a second thought And after this happened, this really kind of destroyed you and this made you dive into therapy and you're really determined to kind of, you know, rise and learn and grow from this. However, this is when you meet the person that this story is about. So walk us through this first meeting.
0: Yeah, so I had um, just gotten out of a a 16-year marriage, so I was in a place of um, really processing that and doing a lot of uh, research on narcissism, and so I felt that I had a pretty good idea of all the traits and everything. Um, So when I met this person, I, I was in a pretty good place considering where I had been (laughs) and I was on my own far along in the process of divorce I was feeling good about uh moving ahead with my life um felt good about the relationship with my son who was um a teenager by then and so We met through a mutual friend, actually, in a 12-step program. Um, I was also sober at the time and had been for a while. I definitely had a hesitation. I was not looking for any relationship. I wasn't even really putting myself out there to date because I was continuing to work on myself. And, And also, he was significantly younger than me very much pursued me, you know, it was a lot of fun, you know, hanging out. We had a lot of fun together and he was very complimentary to me at the beginning. I would say it was definitely love bombing, which it was almost so obvious that I thought, well, can't really be um, love bombing because it's so obvious. And also, I had shared my experience with being, getting out of this past narcissistic relationship. And he also had been, you know, in his family in a narcissistic relationship. So he had that to bond over. So felt like it was all out in the open. And I thought, well, maybe he does really feel this way he's just very exuberant in the way he describes things to people um I am not that way at all um I will give compliments to people but it's usually you know when I really feel it it's not 24 7 um I'm not I guess I'm not trying to get things out of people by complimenting them So that that was the red flag for me uh, in the beginning and also the texting, the uh, constant texting. But he said it was just that, you know, that's just how he is um, texting. So I, I was able to get him to not text as much and give me my space.
1: So within this time, all of this stuff is happening. You know, what do you like about him? Um, How is he seeing you? And when it comes to him, how does he want to be seen? And in hindsight, what is the reality of who he is?
0: So... I expressed um during our sharing of our experience with narcissists that how much I felt um unseen, ignored, and my ex really didn't compliment me at all or say anything that would give me the indication that he saw me. So he was uh, very, very much complimentary, like physically uh the most beautiful person he's ever seen which I didn't necessarily really believe that but I did not mind uh being called beautiful 50 times a day at that point I was like yeah this feels great because I have not heard it in years he was very giving and generous with his time uh Wanted was very thoughtful. Um, he would make me dinner, give me gifts, write me poetry, also be very um, always up and happy and exuberant and positive, which felt really good at the time. But in hindsight, that was very much mirroring um, what I wanted to hear and feel. And... I feel that it was very strategic, (laughs) um, very manipulative and distracting. I felt like it was, it would distract me from what was actually going on with what his intentions were and what he wanted out of me. Um, It totally worked because Being complimented like that, uh, when I felt, at that time, not really seen or heard, it it was uncomfortable. Um, And I also felt uh, like I owed him something. Just because he would say these nice things to me and tell me how great I am. I felt, well, I have to then be reciprocal. In some way. And I'm not going to match the same, you know, exuberance verbally. So, what else can I do? What else can I do for him? And um, he had no problem asking me for things. He was leading the show. And I felt like I was always trying to catch up, trying to figure out what's happening here. What's going on? Where is this going? What does he want? What does he want from me? Does he want something from me? And then I would be on the defense a lot, um, feeling really um, uneasy, off balance. And I especially later in the relationship, uh, as I was being very observant of like how I felt in my body around him, that I was pretty much off balance uh, 90% of the time because I didn't trust him at all.
1: So we'll get examples of this soon, but let's get back to the timeline of your story. So what started to happen after the six month mark of this relationship?
0: So after about six months, um, you know, we were... In a relationship, but it wasn't that deep at all. And I was like, you know, I need to be responsible here. I, this is not going to go anywhere. This cannot be a long-term thing. There's some red flags there. I need to work on myself. So I let him know that we need to break up. And he was very upset. Also very angry. I immediately at that point just cut him off. I blocked him. Not because I was necessarily afraid of him at that point, but I just, um, well, from the advice of some other people, it was like, that was the best thing to do. That was the best thing I could do. And that cut off the communication. I did not speak to him for several months and i started feeling pretty good again started moving out with my life had no interest in dating i just wanted to um get my career together develop keep developing um a relationship with my son and make sure that you know he's doing okay and then the pandemic came which um, a lot of people around the entire planet suddenly became lonely and my income was, uh, at that point, a hundred percent cut off. Uh, there was a little there that I was, I did not know what to do. I was very scared. Um, so I was in a a place of feeling very alone and isolated. And I started thinking about my ex a lot, kind of uh, just remembering, oh, that was fun.
1: And with this guard down, like as if he knew it was the right time to get a hold of you, you know, your ex found you on a 12 step online Meeting that you would go to, and he started a conversation. It was a contact point there in this online forum, and you responded to him. You then agreed to speak to him on the phone, and then he was back in your life. So, what happens from here?
0: And so, by that time, I had already been thinking about him, and then it was like almost immediately. Okay, we're back in, but I felt this time, if I got back together with him, it's going to be different. I'm going to have to lose some of my boundaries, Uh, especially since very soon after, he made it very clear that how much I hurt him by leaving him the first time and would I promise never to do that again? So, well, that's kind of ridiculous making that kind of promise. Um, but I, it was like my, my need for my desire to see him again, to not be alone, was greater than my rational part of myself that knew this was not a good idea. And I said, well, you know, there's going to be some things that you have to agree to as well, which, of course, he said yes to all of it, but none of it really mattered in the end. And then I had to explain to my friends, my family, oh, it actually wasn't so bad before. No, he's changed. And even my therapist. I had to then say, this is why I'm getting back together and almost create a story out of thin air of what our relationship is now like.
1: Uh, how did, how did you feel about that? Because it seems like now you're kind of living two lives, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, it makes sense. Um, I'm very familiar with living two lives, and it it did remind me of that. I feel like there's, yeah, there's two of me, that I can be the good, responsible, caring, empathetic person that people know me as. And then there's the other side that is willing to walk the line, that very thin line of the other side of darkness that I know I'm walking right into it but I'm just kind of hoping that it'll just all work out somehow that this other person is going to miraculously change to what they say they are. So yeah. So almost immediately these different things started happening and transpiring that were not good. So um, let's see, I had, you know, established Good friends that I was just hanging out with. And I was going to go for a walk with this friend. And then my ex, he decided that, oh, well, this is when I wanted to hang out with you. And then I said, well, I had plans with this other person. And he basically made it that, well, are you going to choose them or me? And part of me knew this is ridiculous but then i i also noticed that like he was really angry and it made me scared and it was a type of fear that i don't think i had experienced much in my life um i've actually had never experienced so like being with an intimate partner who expressed this type of anger Um, so it scared me. I still went on a walk with my friend and then later on he apologized and said, yeah, I overreacted. I'm sorry. But this type of, uh, this anger was under the surface and it was coming up more and more frequently.
1: How did you feel when he expressed, um, that he was sorry?
0: um i felt I felt relieved when he uh, expressed um when he apologized, and um, I'll say that over the course of the four years that we were together, um, he always apologized. He always came back It was very guaranteed now. sometimes it would take a little while, but I would always be waiting for that apology to calm my system. And even if I knew that however he acted, the rage, all of that was not right. There was a part of me that felt, I guess, that I deserved it because I went back into it. I'm choosing to be in this relationship. I'm telling everyone else it's fine. So, you know what? I deserve it. And I would just wait for him to make things better to calm my system down. So those kinds of things happened where I would, um, you know, plans that I would make with friends or without him, I always felt that there could be some upset that happened. So I started to do that less and less, making plans with other people because it wasn't worth it. It just didn't feel safe. And one of the tactics that he would use plausible deniability seems to be something that comes up. Um, He would use these tactics. So he would have these anxiety attacks, but they seem to come up at very opportune times when it was something that I wanted to do. The focus was on me. So it was my birthday and uh, we're going to meet my sister and my niece at a cafe just for a short little, my sister got some presents. And so I was kind of excited because she's going to get to hang out with him and get to know him a little bit. Um, and I'll have to say that my my sister was not happy that I got back together with him. So I, I felt like I, I really wanted her to see that, you know, get to know him a bit and that we were doing good. So we met at a cafe and it was just almost immediately he ha- was having anxiety attack. So it came about him and I didn't know what to do. Uh and also I wanted to see my sister and my niece and celebrate my birthday. So these type of things would happen. And it seemed like it happened when it was my friends or my family. I got to spend a lot of time with his family, which I like them, but a lot of interesting dynamics that went on with his family. But I would think to myself, you know, I show up with his family, but as it turns out, we spent more time with his family. It it wasn't very
1: um, equal, I guess. So, did you have any feelings surrounding this?
0: There's that, you know, that that mother, like I get this anger in me that is just, that I don't, I don't like in a way. I don't, I don't, I don't want to feel like this. Um, but I guess it, it is the anger that motivated me to leave eventually. Um, But I'm trying to figure out the trajectory of, you know, how it increased and how things got worse over time. So he ended up moving in with me at the time. um, It seemed like, Yeah, I could use help with some of the bills here. He's over here a lot. And I mean, yeah, basically that's what I was thinking at the time. And he was very generous and very exuberant about creating this home together and this little family. And I also noticed that any of the rages, abusive behavior, only happened when it was just him and I at home. Even though he said he didn't have control over these rages that he would have, somehow he was able to have control enough to only do it when it was just him and I. So soon after he moved in, he would be triggered by maybe, I don't even, something I said, which I wouldn't I couldn't even figure out what it was. And then I tried to not say certain things. I tried to understand the things that I said or did that might trigger him and not do those things. But that always changed. So I remember the first time he got in a rage and his face would change. It was, it was like, you hear about people saying like their eyes went black and I can understand that in a metaphorical sense. It was like his body became possessed by something else. Um, and when that would happen and I could see it in his jaw that I didn't know where it was going to go or where it was going to lead. Um, so one thing he would always do is get up in my face and he's taller and bigger than me, um, stronger than me. And he would just yell just awful things to me. I mean, it was basically projection, everything that he yelled at me. And I thought about it later. It's like, oh, well, he's talking about himself there. But at the time, all the blood would run out of my face. And I would just be in a state of terror and i'm and I'm a, a fawner, so how do I make this situation calm and better? What do I need to do to calm this situation down? How do I talk to somebody who is being possessed right now by this rage and and I would never know how long it was going to be or uh where it was going to go um three or four different times he had gone in and grabbed a knife out of the drawer I always knew when he would go to the kitchen he was going to grab a knife and there would be like this time period where I didn't know what he was going to do with the knife it was just is he going to come after me is he going to come after himself and mostly would then threaten to stab himself. And he, he never did.
1: So what happens to you when he says these things or threatens these things?
0: Um, What happens to me is I get in, you know, it's like my body's frozen, but at the same time, I'm actually pretty darn good in emergency type situations. And I do think it's directly related to growing up in a household where there was lots of arguing and throwing things and things like that. I would have to think on my feet of what to verbally say. So sometimes it would be, maybe i would yell to talk sense into him like basically if you do this then that's going to happen put the knife down or i would plead or i would just whatever came to me intuitively at the time um and then at some point he would it would like break the spell i guess that's what it felt like to me and then he would just end up Sobbing on the floor and I would end up comforting him. Um, And then he'd finally come to, but it never got around to me being able to say how it affected me because if I ever brought it up later on, it would just cause more shame to him. And it's not, he already knows He does, he knows it's awful, but he can't talk about it. So it would just be blown over and move on. And there would be, you know, a period of calm after this explosion.
1: So here you are in this familiar role, caretaking this person where there are legitimate things going on as far as knowing that they've come from trauma. It's something where you end up kind of caretaking after these rages that you are exposed to that you could be in fear of your life or fear for their own life in these instances. So how are you coping And how are you mentally dealing with what's going on? So I didn't,
0: I did not know what to do. And also at the same time, I was reflecting upon my growth as a human being. I was thinking, oh, wow. So after all of these years of work, how is it that right now I am in the scariest, Relationship to date. How did that happen? I just, I just had never run across someone who was this physically violent. And it's, it's, it was really scary. And I, and I saw the incremental changes. It, it was little by little, you know, somebody cut like it really, I mean, every, everyone's situation is different but I could see those incremental uh, changes and how it got like more like he's in my face. He grabs my, he grabs my arms. I'm on, I'm laying on the bed. You know, we're just sitting around laying on the bed. He comes on top of me and grabs my arms. So he's pinning me. And at one point um, he was so enraged, I think he wanted to hit me, but instead he punched himself three times in the face. And then later tried to tell me, well, somehow, because he punched himself in the face, that's not really physically assaulting me, but I knew like, no, when you're doing that, that that's violent. And that I... I'm affected by it. It's happening right in front of me. Um, So I knew he had the potential to, I don't know. I don't know.
1: And from when this relationship started to this point, how have you changed as far as your behaviors and um, mental health at this point?
0: So at this point, when we're living together and these things are happening, I'm completely isolated from my friends. I don't really want to talk to them because I'm just going to make things up. I'm just not going to be honest about what's happening. So to me, it's, it's exhausting. It's an effort to pretend. Um, My mental health is very bad. It's kind of like in a, I'm just depressed. I'm just going along. I realized that I had been in a state of hopelessness for a really long time. And how I realized it was, I think, I was trying to think about, my future and what what excites me about life. And I was looking back to other times in my life that I was excited about projects, projects creative. I had been involved in different uh, theater stuff in town and um, other creative things. I didn't care about any of it. And I could not even access that feeling. So I was, I was very much in a place of suicide ideation. Um, I could go there very quickly. Um, I just like the thought, I felt so bad that I had allowed myself to get into this. And it, and because it was a lot more extreme and physically, I just thought, you know, what's the point? Like I, I had my chance. I I was healing. And then I dove right into something that this was going to put me under the ground. I might as well just voluntarily, you know, jump in a, an empty grave and have someone just throw dirt on me. I mean, that's how it feels like just, you know what, just throw dirt and let me just disintegrate. Um, with the maggots however I've got my son I'll just say like what continued to happen on a regular basis I mean the the cycle of abuse I was like yeah I know about cycle I know about cycle of abuse oh wow I fully understand someone that is in a physically abusive relationship um It it is similar. It's not something different than the emotional. But for some reason, I wanted to, in my mind, wanted to say, well, I'm not that. Or I, like, that was separate. No, I get it now. I understand the cycle. And I know just where I am on the cycle. And I can't get out. I can't get out. I am trauma-bonded. The thought of him leaving was like, would be like a death that I would have to mourn. I would rather just see myself in the grave than to deal with that. Like, those are my thoughts at the time. And so throughout this whole four years too, um, part of this whole cycle, when the rages happened, a lot of times he said, I'm done. I'm out of here. And he would like dramatically pack some bags and so a lot of times i would just be like no like don't leave where because a i was scared what was going to happen when he went out the door was he going to drive off a bridge because he threatened suicide quite a bit um was he going to create a scene was he going to go to his parents and then say bad things about me i just didn't know i just wanted him to stay and then follow through and you know cry on the floor and then come back to reality and then have that little bit of peace. <laughs> I'm like, no, you can't leave. Let's finish this cycle in here, and so then I can have my good times for like a week or two. Um. So I mean, he must have said he was going to leave. I don't need uh, i a hundred times. Hundred times, it just got to be so normal that happened. Also, he would get jobs, he would quit jobs um, within the week. So it was always like the, the so the future faking. It was a daily future faking that happened. Of I'm going to get this job, and I'm going to do this. And oh, he was also in school. I think he dropped out and went back. Maybe three times during that four-year period, and it would be this huge thing. So basically, I was just riding the roller coaster of his reign the entire four years. And myself, I was just, uh, I don't know, waiting in hopelessness. Or thinking, well, once we fix this, then it's time for me. Uh, so, and I'm trying to think what it was. I think it was um, it was around my birthday, which I guess symbolically it was kind of significant to me. Um, also, well, I, I should say the last holidays, I had a bunch of family come in. And it had been years and I wanted to him to meet them and he was just not present whatsoever same tactics made it very difficult uh for me during that time and then my birthday came after and had a bunch of money that he spent about a week before my birthday which at that time he said he was gonna um, take me out to a nice dinner and this and that but somehow On my birthday, he had spent all the money and he was promising me when he got money, he was going to take me out. But in the meantime, he got me this uh, card from like the nearest grocery store. And he told me this like, he took a really long time picking it out at at the grocery store. Uh, And he wrote, In the card, these heartfelt, like, this is, like, his vulnerability, heartfelt. And in the card, he had, like, a $25 gift certificate that I know he got from somebody else as a, I don't know, a, a token of something. And it didn't even work. The card didn't even work. But uh, then I remembered, wait a minute. I checked the card that he got me from the previous year, and I realized he did almost exactly the same thing the year before. It was a card from the same store saying very familiar things, but instead of a, instead of a um, gift card, he, he Venmo'd me $15. And I don't care about the money, but I'm like, this, this is not right. But there is something not right about, there's something very, like, it put me in that place of feeling, oh, what's wrong with me? I'm all about, I'm going to be all like, oh, you didn't give me a good present. It's like, no, there, there's something else going on here and I got to get out of this. So. I came up with a plan and I knew I had to get out. And I knew the first thing I needed to do was start talking to people about what had been happening. Because once I started that, I knew that there was no going back. So I shared with, you know, a few close friends who I trusted. And I started telling my story. And it was really hard at first because I felt this sense of loyalty to him. And I don't know if that's part of trauma bonds and what happens, but I felt like I was betraying his trust and I see myself as trustworthy. Like I keep people's, you know, innermost secrets. I, I honor that. So the fact that I was then telling close friends because I wanted their support and they were shocked. That's how good I was at keeping this double life. <laughs> and I got help. Like I started feeling, once I told them, I just started feeling the support and love and had to borrow some money Because part of my plan was also that I was going to sell my condo and move basically out of town. I lived in this town for 21 years and I knew I needed to get out of town to get out of this relationship. And just so happens my son was graduating from high school and wanted to um maybe live in another city uh was open to moving around so i thought you know i'm just gonna do this it was a lot of physical labor a lot of logistics which i kind of like actually um but the surge of energy i got from this taking my life back and making this change I was just on a mission, so I was able to sell my place pretty quickly. But I actually, I didn't put it on the market right away. But I also, at the same time, really strategically um, worked out breaking up. So it wasn't, it wasn't just like get out of here. I'm never talking to you again. It was, hey, this isn't working. I don't want to live with you anymore. It's bad for both of us. And it was actually a slow pulling apart. Which I know that in a lot of people's situations, that's just not feasible. That's not going to work. But I knew that this was how I wanted to do it. I think it, that's how it was going to work for me. I was just, I was going to give it a try. Plus, I was so trauma bonded. The thought of just cutting off and then doing all these other things, I just couldn't do it. I mean, when I broke up with him, I was just like sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. I had a therapist once say that like, it's like losing a limb when you're with someone for such a long time and then it's like cut off. It is it is like losing a part of yourself um, and you don't know how to function or I guess like a drug, really. I guess it's like a drug.
1: So were were there hoovering attempts as well or no?
0: Yes, Um, very much so Um, through that period. um, Well, there was denial that we were breaking up. Um, So it took a really long time for him to get his furniture out and actually find a place he would not move. He went to live with his parents they were somewhat close to town and um it, it took forever. I actually <laughs> I sold the place, bought a new place, moved into the new place, about exactly the same time he actually finally moved into another place, which was six months later. So there was a lot of attempts to beg and plead, I'll change. Um, but I was very much set. I was set. I was doing what I was doing. There was nothing that was gonna get in my way. And I still kept in contact. But once I was in the new location, and I was being pretty friendly, but clear about my boundaries, and that's when the the rages started again. And at that point, it was like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing the rages. So now, first it was, let's not talk for a week. Then eventually, I've just completely cut him off. But he still finds ways to get through. But I don't respond.
1: What are those ways?
0: Um, I guess I didn't uh, really... Uh, well, A, we shared a phone line. So that was kind of a, a thing to pull me in. But I ended up having to just completely, you know, cut him off with no phone um, because he wasn't taking care of that. So, you know, all of this social media, you know, even like cash app, um, you know, different applications that I didn't realize. Okay, that's, you know, LinkedIn. One time when I was uh, it was in the middle of the night and it was a unknown number and i don't know why i answered the phone i was thinking i don't know what i was thinking but it was him but he's still trying like he just uh, yesterday um but i don't i don't read any of the messages i don't read any of the messages anymore because it it's not good for me I i get scared when i read them or my body just i don't know what that is what my body does it it It's fearful. Not that I am afraid of him. Physically afraid of him. It's a feeling of somebody's coming after me and they want to make me pay for what I've done.
1: So where are you now with everything? And how is the healing process been?
0: So um, I'm now in the new place. I've really set up my space to be a sanctuary. Probably more so than I've ever created a sanctuary for myself. And my three cats. So I, I am the cat lady. I'm very proud. And, you know... I'm in a brand new town. I know one person, kind of, but I actually meet people fairly easy. I know I had a rough start as a kid, but throughout my adult life, I do not have a hard time making friends at all. I got past that. So I'm not, I'm actually, I want to be careful who I make, connections with because i also realize that you know i'm still vulnerable at the same time it's i don't want to isolate so i'm getting involved little by little um it's little baby steps and being as kind to myself as i can be in every moment of every day um It is when I think of, you know, being here for my son, my son will do good in life if I am doing good for myself. And so it's uncomfortable, but I keep refocusing. So it's been, it's up and down. There are like nights where as soon as it gets dark, I just feel so alone. But I think it's really... It's just unfamiliar. Um, it's just an unfamiliar feeling. I'm okay with it taking a while, and I'm also okay with, like, if this is, if that was my last intimate relationship, um that's okay, because I've got, you know, that humanity to tap into and i've had those experiences um now if i do get into a relationship it's going to be totally different and i'm just kind of figuring out what that might look like although i won't know till i experience it but it's going to be very different from what i've experienced so far in this life so i'm in no hurry
1: And if you had any words of wisdom for everyone listening, what would they be?
0: What I want to say is that forgiveness is key. So um, forgiveness of where you've been, or even if you're presently in a relationship wanting to get out or, you know, in that process, forgiveness, even in that. Place. Forgive yourself while you're even in it and forgive yourself once you get out. I think that is so key um, to forgiving ourselves because we only know what we know until we know it. And we are truly amazing human beings and survivors. So, um, one little one, oh, also one little baby step at a time.
1: Well, Kara, I really want to thank you for being here with us today and sharing your story and discussing, you know, the cycles of abuse that were happening, uh, and the identification of those as well, you know, what you went through, was scary you know not knowing what you're dealing with in in a sense and seeing someone who is looks like they're about to take harm to a different level to you but then inflicting it on themselves which has to be very confusing and the caretaking then that goes involved with everything after the abuse has happened it's like really you know quite a manipulation tactic for this person to always be kind of playing play, uh, playing the victim um, and going to their trauma and then you caretaking and watching these cycles, you know, start, um, finish and then kind of restarting them. And it's a big thing to hammer home to a lot of people today, uh, that this is, you know, your story might be different, but you know, a lot of the time they're, they're all the same and just trying to figure out what's going on. And then having, you know, the movement, and knowledge gained to eventually break free and get the support that you need. So just a big thank you uh, for being here today and sharing your story.
0: Thanks for having me, Brandon.
1: Well, Cara, thank you once again for being our guest this week. And if you want to be a guest like Kara was today, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com top of the page there's a button that says guest form when you click on that button it takes you to our guest form page and there you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at narcissistapocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our guest form and press the submit button and please do send it in the format that we ask for and if you need support We have a support group at NarcissistApocalypse.com. So if you need support, go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says support group. When you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. And there you will see that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need from survivors just like you. And you can make a lot of great friends there too. So if you need support, join our support group today and if you need even more support please do visit our friends at domesticshelters.org domesticshelters.org has articles and resources to help you make sense of what you're dealing with they have every phone number email address web address for shelters and agencies no matter how big or small. The town you are in, DomesticShelters.org has it there. It is a wonderful free resource, so if you need extra support, go to DomesticShelters.org today. And we have another friend of the show called Shelter Movers. And Shelter Movers can be found at sheltermovers.com. And Shelter Movers helps survivors of domestic violence transition to a better and safer life. It is a volunteer organization, a donor-supported organization, charitable organization as well. It is currently only in Canada, but they're looking to expand into the United States. And what they do is they help coordinate moves for people who are getting out of domestic violence in course of control. They get all of your things out of your home, into storage all of your belongings into storage and they can do this for your pets and livestock too it is a wonderful organization so if you need help from them go to sheltermovers.com if you just want to donate to them go to their donation page at sheltermovers.com and it's just a great organization sheltermovers.com and that is it for today's survivor story today's episode so for myself and Kara, we hope you have a good night